0: Welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast.
1: I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. It's a bizarre true crime story that even the defendants, two film producers, would find difficult to script. The producers could spend the rest of their lives in prison for selling synthetic drugs, but they swear the stuff they sold was legal, and even a chemist, a former top DEA agent, agrees. The problem is, he's now locked up too. Joining us for this Bloomberg Law exclusive story, America's Secret Drug Wars, is Jordan Rubin, Bloomberg Law legal editor. Jordan, begin by telling us about Charles Burton Ritchie and his enterprises.
2: Sure. So Charles Burton Ritchie is an interesting character. He started opening up a head shop in the early 90s in Pensacola, Florida, called the Psychedelic Shack. And he'd call himself a serial entrepreneur. And that's really true in every sense of the word. The problem is one of his enterprises was dealing in synthetic cannabinoids. Now, this is sort of a murky legal area. And it's unclear what exactly is legal or illegal. And the problem is that The Department of Justice called that particular enterprise a multi-million dollar synthetic marijuana ring, and now he and his partner, Ben Galecki, are facing decades in prison.
1: What are the problems with the broad scope of the law that bans the sale of analog designer drugs?
2: Sure. So obviously we all know that drugs like cocaine, heroin, things like that are illegal. That's simple enough. The problem is that Enterprising chemists and dealers will sort of just tweak a molecule to make a drug slightly different than the compound that's illegal. And so that presents a big problem for law enforcement trying to keep up with this synthetic drug craze. And so in an effort to combat that, there's a law called the Federal Analog Act, and that's from the 1980s, which says that if you're selling a drug that's quote unquote substantially similar to an already illegal compound, then you're on the hook as if you sold that illegal compound. The problem is the term substantially similar, defendants say, is too vague to give them notice of what's illegal. And so that's how you get into arguments like in the Ritchie and Galecki case where they say they were essentially blindsided by charges and they were trying to live within the law.
1: And there were times when they invited government agents to come look at their drugs basically.
2: Right. Like you said, it would almost have been difficult for them to script. So there was a big raid in 2012, a nationwide raid on synthetic substances called Operation Logjam. And after one of their facilities was raided, they reached out to the DEA. Uh, Burton Ritchie reached out and he got a DEA agent, Claude Cozy, to come and inspect their Florida facility. He gave them samples of the product and he said, Hey, look, if you're telling me what I'm doing is illegal, I'll close up shop today. That didn't happen. And nonetheless, Though the defendants found themselves getting indicted in multiple federal districts years later,
0: the countdown has begun this May. A thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar, and premier sponsor QB. Join heads of state influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cutter economic forum.com.
1: Two trials in Virginia. One ended in a hung jury, the other in convictions. What happened at trial?
2: So as you mentioned, there were multiple trials in Virginia. As it turns out, the first jury, the reason that there was a hung jury is because the jurors had difficulty sorting out this issue of whether the drug was substantially similar or not. So it's a situation where it's this Kind of difficult scientific question, but ultimately it's up to a jury without any scientific expertise prior to make this seemingly scientific determination. And so in that first trial in Virginia, the jury said, We can't agree on this, and so there was a mistrial declared. Then in the second trial, the jurors actually had some difficulty with the issue as well, but ultimately they did wind up returning guilty verdicts, and the defendants were sentenced there to about 30 years each. And those were convictions that were actually just recently overturned by the Court of Appeals that covers Virginia. But the defendants are not even close to out of the woods yet because they were just convicted in another trial in Las Vegas.
1: It went up and down to the Fourth Circuit, and the issue in here went to the Supreme Court. Are other people having the same kinds of problems with this law? That they are?
2: Yes. So there's a pending appeal in New York federal court, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals that covers New York, where there's a lawyer who's trying to take down this analog law itself, saying the law is too vague, that it doesn't give fair notice, similar to the argument that defendants all over the country are making. And so that's an appeal that we're going to be watching very closely to see if that's a case that winds up going further up on the appeals chain and perhaps winds up getting this law stricken down.
1: So, Jordan, the government usually has schedules of drugs. Why aren't there lists of what constitutes a synthetic analog drug that's illegal?
2: So, if you ask the government, what they would say is it's impossible to publish a continually accurate list because new compounds are getting added all the time. And so, therefore, a list would necessarily be incomplete. Defendants, on the other hand, say even if it's an incomplete list, that would have been better than nothing because in the case, for example, like the Burton Ritchie case, what they say anyway is if the government had told them ahead of time that this particular compound that they had sold was illegal, they would have gotten out of the business that day. And so there are certainly differing arguments on this, and it's just a question from the defendant's view of essentially for people trying to live within the law, whether the government can help them do that. The government, on the other hand, says essentially that's a difficult argument to take with a straight face. You know you're doing something that's kind of shady and it's sort of on you if you wind up getting prosecuted in the end.
1: So adding to how bizarre this is, you have a chemist who was a former top DEA agent agreeing with them, but now he's in prison.
2: So, that's another truly bizarre twist on this story. So, Arthur Barrier was a senior DEA chemist. He was really the DEA's top expert in this special lab that was on top of the synthetic issue as this synthetic drug craze was really heating up. Uh, Arthur Barrier would be the one who would review whether new compounds could qualify as substantially similar under this analog law. And the government was not forthcoming with this information to defendants who were prosecuted under the law, at least at first. But once word got out that there was this DEA chemist who disagreed with his own colleagues about whether certain drugs should be illegal under the analog law, then defendants wanted him to testify for them, of course, because if you're a defendant and you say, hey, I can call this government witness who obliterates the government's own case. Now, that was true, but just as this was starting to happen, this same chemist, Arthur Barrier, was arrested in the summer of 2017, having nothing to do with drugs, but he was arrested in a different sort of law enforcement takedown, one targeting people who solicit minors online for sex. And so now he's in jail, just like the people he used to help the DEA take down.
1: Well, it's a fascinating story. We don't have time for all of it, but you can read it. It's a Bloomberg Law exclusive story, America's Secret Drug Wars. That's Jordan Rubin, Bloomberg Law Legal Editor. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg.